Hi, my name is Moshe Kindler, and I'm the publisher of The Jewish Link. Hi, this is Elizabeth Kratz. I'm editor of The Jewish Link. And you're on The Jewish Link Pitch Meeting Podcast. So, Moshe, I want you to introduce our guest, but I also want you to know that I have heard and have been watching and reading about Efrat, the organization that he rec- represents for many, many years, probably close to two decades. So can you tell us how this happened and who our guest is, please, today? Okay. First of all, I want to welcome my friend for 25 years, uh, Nir Solomon, who we went to yeshiva with and college with. And and uh, Nir is a very, very special person um, who I think uh, did not originally plan to go into the nonprofit world. I think he. That I think. True. I think you may have planned to make it big in Israeli law, Israeli tech. I think that was the original plan. You are way off the derech that on true. that plan, and you are. You kind of reappeared back in my life a few years ago when you told me about your growing involvement in Efrat, okay, which you now lead. So, tell us a little bit about your, your, yourself. I, I just happen to think you'll 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 really enjoy, and hopefully our listeners will really enjoy hearing how near got to Efrat about Efrat. Uh, there's been a lot of changes and growth for Efrat over the last uh, five, six, seven years, for those of us who know. And also Efrat is, is, is in the paper in a very, very significant way in the, with the Jewish link and with our community. So yeah. welcome you. So. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, so my story I think is simple, even though it's a little bit off the derech. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm an attorney in Israel. I practice corporate law, high tech, especially high tech. And I actually have a very unique niche in anti-money laundering. Oh. Uh, law, which is which is very interesting. Let's related to Efrat completely. They're <laughs> not, not related at all to Efrat. Yeah. But I've been volunteering for Efrat for close to two decades now. Okay. Um, so back to the two decades. Efrat has been around almost five decades, right? So it's been in around 47 years already. Wow. Efrat has been around. I actually discovered Efrat. You know, I'll tell you the story how I discovered Efrat. Yeah. We actually, when we made Aliyah or when we returned, I, I lived in Israel a little bit as a child as well. When we returned, we actually had a falafel slash hamburger place in Ramad Bet Shemesh. <laughs> and we, we had this guy from Yad Eliezer, I'm sure you know this wonderful, beautiful organization, who used to come and pick food from us and give to families, needy families. And one day he says to me, you know, I need you to cook a meal, not give me leftovers. I need you to cook a meal. I said, well, why? It's an Efrat family. I said, what, what's an Efrat family? What does that mean? You thought it was probably the place. I thought it was the place, right? <laughs> yeah. Efrat, right? Mm-hmm. So he says to me, you don't know what an Efrat family is? I said, no. I'm like, he says to me, okay, I don't have time to tell you, but just cook the meal. There's a shiva for this family, and they, they just need support. I said, okay, fine. We cooked the meal. And then he says to me, you know, there's this organization called Efrat because there are so many abortions taking place in Israel and primarily being driven because of financial stress. I said, okay, okay. Explain exactly what you mean by financial stress. He says, you know, some of them just can't afford a crib, can't afford a bath, and they just feel choked. And they choose to terminate the pregnancy. I said, no, I I don't believe that. That's just impossible. It can't be. He introduces me to somebody who today is my partner in crime, I would say, in Efrat, the CEO of Efrat, Chagai Goldschmidt, mm-hmm. who was Dr. Shusheim's son-in-law. Doctor, we'll speak about Dr. Shusheim in a moment. And he started telling me about Efrat, and I just couldn't believe it. And he said to me, no, can you help out? And can you introduce the communities? And ever since I, w- I became involved with Efrat, everywhere I went, I had my own fintech. Like you said, technology, I had my own fintech startup. I traveled around the world 
quite extensively, and everywhere I went, I spoke about Efrat. So you mentioned about in shuls. I, every shul I go to, I go up to the rabbi, I sit down, I represent Efrat. I would like to say something in the community for two reasons. A, so that people can support financially the unbelievable work that Efrat does, and B, that people in the community will discuss the abortion issue because it's happening everywhere. Um, well, you were really that surprised that, that, that yeah. you, you just couldn't believe it that, what, couldn't. that people that in a community in, in yeah. a place like Israel that people were, were doing abortions. I, I remember that around this twenty year ago point. I I don't know why that is a number that's sticking out to me, but I w- was remembering this idea that abortion was not such a institution then as it is now in America, and it was something that Jewish families tended not to speak about, and it was like a le- like. It was not even a, I don't know, it wasn't a taboo topic, but it just wasn't discussed. And then now, even in this, in a weird way, with jokes and humor having to do with uh, yeshiva tuition in America, people say, this is a great, you know, prophylactic. Don't have more kids because of how much it costs. But isn't there like a gem of an idea in there that there's the whole, all of Claudius Roel has been altered by an organization that just says, what if this money issue didn't exist? What if they had so, a group that, like, sorry to like, am not I doing a, your it, commercial? No, no, you? but the amazing thing is it's not a money issue. Mm. Okay. It's a money slash pressure issue. Mm. We can't solve their money problems, right? So Dr. Shusheim said, wait a second, if the stress, you know, I was recently on Halacha headlines, and, he, and, and um, I was asked there a very, reasonable question. You know, a lot of Rabbanim feel that it's not permitted. So Efrat doesn't get into permitted, not permitted. It's none of our business. But I answered, you know, what's the difference if it's permitted or not permitted? When a woman is at her end's wit, she can't see the future. She feels like there's nothing more for me to do. We need to alleviate the pressure she's under and let her have the opportunity to listen to her inner voice. That's what Efrat did. So when you're pressured and bombarded, the family's telling you, well, you can't afford it, you can't afford it, you can't afford it, you can't. What do you mean you can't afford it? And we speak to them and they say to us, well, we barely make ends meet. We have two children already. A lot of times people think, okay, this is teenage pregnancies. Mm-hmm. We're just yeah. now celebrating, I just mentioned before, we celebrated yesterday crossing the 85,000 mark. We just wow. crossed 85, yesterday was Wait. 80. How let the eighty five thousand? Let's just break down that yes. number for a second. Yes, eighty five thousand watts. Is it dollars Maybe. or is it human lives? It's eighty five thousand eleven babies directly saved by the work of Efrat. Why do I say directly? Because when you heard about Efrat twenty years ago, the abortion rate was at about forty thousand abortions a year in Israel. Today, the abortion rate is down to around 35,000. We still talk about the 35 to 40 number, but it's down, which means the impact of the Efrat, the Efrat message in the Israeli street has been so strong that even the abortion rate is down significantly, not only from 40,000 to 35,000, when the population has grown tremendously and the, and the absolute number has decreased tremendously, that's a huge impact. So we've saved directly 85,011 lives as of yesterday, which is just absolutely tremendous. How do we do that? We just make sure. Here is this woman, she has two children, she barely makes ends meet. 
And now she's pregnant. She didn't plan on it. She's pregnant. The husband says to her, and I say this all the time, he's a loving husband. He's thinking with his head. He says, how can we afford another child? And the woman says, well, I get it. We can't. But I'm already pregnant. Over 50% of the women we deal with year over year are married. I'm already pregnant, so we can't terminate the pregnancy. And the man says, well, but we can't afford to provide for this child. So what are we going to do? And we have discussions with them. And we realized it's only the temporary pressure, believe it or not. Mm. It's only the very short vision. Right now, I can't afford a crib or I can't afford diapers. Mm -hmm. I just can't afford it. If you come to our warehouse in Jerusalem, it's in the center of Jerusalem in Kiryat Moshe. You'll see in the warehouse, we have carriages. I mean, just coming to the warehouse is amazing. I invite everybody to come to the warehouse. We send out of that warehouse three and a half thousand packages every single month to every neighborhood, literally every neighborhood in Israel. And you'll see sometimes strollers, double strollers. And sometimes people say, well, why a double stroller? We say, because that's why she's thinking of an abortion. She just had a child. How can she now have another one? So we tell them, listen, we'll give you a stroll. No, but I, what am I going to do with the other child? Mm -hmm. We have a, dub a double stroller. And you see in her face this, wow, you really thought this through. You're really there for me. And then we tell her, but it's your choice. You have to make the choice. But just don't let the external pressures pressure you. Listen to your inner voice. What would you like to do? If you want to have the child, we are there for you. I have to tell you a story here in America. Uh, because one of the, we'll talk about, you know, the development of Efrat, but I have this crazy, crazy, crazy story with this, oh, I mean, we have so many crazy stories, right? <laughs> but this woman says to me the following, Mali Aaron is her name. She says she became pregnant in Israel, she didn't know about this, and she moved to Phoenix, Arizona to sell um, Yama Melch products in the carts and malls, you know? Okay, oh yeah, sure. It's usually young, young Israelis. It's young Israelis, right? She was after the army, you know, selling Yama Melch products. It's like a mafia. She says, she says, she all of a sudden realizes, well, maybe she's pregnant. And then she asks a friend, she says, well, maybe the heat like changes a woman's cycle. Maybe, well, what's going on? It's so hot over here in Arizona. She says, what are you talking about? She says, I, I, I can't be pregnant. She says, I took eight pregnancy tests. And after the eighth pregnancy test, she says, I, all of Phoenix must have heard my screaming. How can I be pregnant now? The boyfriend doesn't care. He's in Israel. Forget it. So she scheduled an abortion. She didn't know. She's selling Yama Melch products. How, how is this going to all work out? So a friend in this Yama Melch product says to her, listen, before you make a decision, just relax. How can I relax? What are you talking about? This, I can't deal. How can I relax? She says to her, listen. Mali says to me, listen, Nir, you can believe or not, but the truth is, my friend's name was Efrat. She says, you have to call this organization in Israel called Efrat and just speak with them. Mali tells me, I think it's been 20 years ago. Mali tells me, I call up Efrat and answers the phone, Ruti Dhar. She is the head of the social assistance department till today. And she answers the phone and she says to me, you know what Ruti told me? She says, I don't know who you are. Nice to meet you, Mali. From this moment on, whatever decision you make, whether you terminate the pregnancy or not, just so you should know, you are not alone. And she says to me the following, I felt I was falling off of a cliff and somebody just reached out their arm and just held me. I wasn't going to cancel the abortion, but I said to myself, Molly says, nobody ever said you're not alone. And all of a sudden she says, well, I don't really want to terminate this. I have a child inside of me. Why? Because of all this crazy, I'm not going to do it. Not going to do it. 
So she says to Ruthie, how, how can you help me? She says, first of all, relax. Think about what you really want to do. She had these discussions, and then she decided she can't do it in America. She comes back to Israel. And lo and behold, she goes into her loving, wonderful family, and they pressure her from every angle to terminate the pregnancy. Molly says to me, I was alone. I had only one friend. Ruti Tidhar in the Efrat organization. And today my baby, she, sh- she introduces me to her child. She's 19 years old. She's going to be a brain surgeon. That's her dream. She says, how could I imagine life without her? She says, it took a year after the baby was born and my family, obviously their grandparents, and they bring her back into the, into the fold. Everything is great. But if Efrat wasn't there for me at that point in time, that baby wouldn't have been born. I was asked on halachic headlines, what would have happened to these children if Efrat wasn't there? They wouldn't be here. Harav Mordechai Eliyahu, the former chief rabbi, used to say there are two people in this world that bring redemption. One of which is still alive, Harav Menachem Burstein, from another great organization called Pua, I'm sure you know, <laughs> who makes sure that souls come into this world. Infertility. Yep. Infertility. Mm-hmm. And the other organization is Dr. Eli Shusheim of Blessed Memory, who makes sure that the souls that have already descended into this world don't go back. So that way we have every soul that needs to be in this world, and that's how we bring the Geula. So all of these 85,011 children wouldn't have been here if it wasn't for the assistance of Efrat. You know, we're now running a campaign called Save a Life Guaranteed. Mm-hmm. So we're advertising in different newspapers, and one of the newspapers, <clears throat> of course, in the Jewish link, you know, we're advertising Thank you. Uh, very strongly, and, and we really want the community to embrace us. But one of the newspapers said to us, you know, we, we actually can't put your ad. I said, why not? They said to us, because only Hashem guarantees life. I said, you're actually wrong. You're actually wrong. Hashem guaranteed that the life will be here. We sometimes have free will for that life not to be here. Efrat makes sure that with your funds, with your efforts, a life is guaranteed. We change that tide from a woman who is falling off the cliff, that baby is not coming into this world, to having that baby come into this world. Did they take the ad, by the way? They didn't. I said to them, listen, if you can't put save a life guaranteed, then I'm not going into the paper. Because yes, sometimes our actions, and we don't have time to go into this, but sometimes our actions, nothing is guaranteed. Hashem makes all of the decisions, but Hashem has made a decision. To become pregnant is actually rather difficult. We think, oh, we could just become pregnant. We know that's not the case anymore, right? We know how difficult of a problem in the Jewish community infertility is. Hashem decides that that baby is coming to this world. But sometimes we need to be there, a holding hand to make sure that baby comes into this world. The midwives in Egypt did it, right? These babies were about to come, but they were scared. The fear that the, and that's the name of Frat, maybe I'll explain, the fear that those women had on the birthing stone. Can you imagine they knew that maybe their child will be born and then will be put to death. Why have a child that will be put to death after the child is born? And the midwives held their hands saying, listen, don't fear. You're doing the right thing. Hashem wants that baby in this world. If you want that baby, we'll be here to help you and we will risk our own lives. So that baby comes into this world. That's the name Efrat. Efrat is after Miriam. Chazal called Miriam Efrat. Why? Because she caused babies to be fruitful and multiply. But it's a long string, and it's very important. Efrat starts from the education stage. We want to 
elevate this discussion about abortion. It's not pro-life, it's not pro-choice, it's pro-woman. A woman needs to know, she has the ability to listen to her inner voice, she gets to decide. No external pressures. If it's money, Efrat will alleviate those external pressures. Then, when she's under pressure, like the midwives, we will be there with her in her most difficult moments. And then when the baby's born and she's still concerned, we remain with that woman. We remain with her for two years after with financial support and counseling. So we provide monthly packages of diapers and wipes and food, food staples, never money because we're trying to direct it to the exact needs that that woman needs. If she needs additional support, we have volunteers in every, every, mark my words, every neighborhood in Israel, we have volunteers. They will make sure that the local Yad Eliezer, Chasdei Naomi, whoever it needs to be, will augment our assistance if that's what needs to happen. And then we realize, and this is part of the developments of Efrat in the last couple of years, we realized that some women still need extra assistance. So we opened up a program. When we opened it up, it was called Working Moms. We just rebranded it, it's called Rise Up. And the program is we look at these women who really need vocational assistance. So we give them vocational... For, inc for income, meaning they're, they're, for their, income, income. their income's too low, they have to raise it. They have to raise their income and they have to stand on their strong on their two feet. I, I just wanna say in parentheses, I think there's no stronger advocate for women than Efrat is. We see the woman, she needs to stand on her, on her two feet. So what we did was we give her a vocational assessment where she would be most apt to be able to gain a profession. And then we link her up with the government subsidies for vocational assistance. And then we take her, escort her through the whole process. So we give her also financial assistance above and beyond our regular assistance to be able to make sure that she succeeds in that vocational training and then the entire trajectory of that family changes forever. There's one problem. Even though Israel is a socialist country in or on some level, mm -hmm. the daycare is not funded by the government until they overcome all kinds of hurdles. So for the first three months, the daycare is not funded. So we fund the daycare today. So we make sure she can go and get her vocational training. So we'll give her that stipend week to week or month to month, depending on each case, to make sure that she is following the course of her vocational training so she, she finishes it and she gets back into the workforce with pride and with dignity that she can fend for herself and for her own children. In the past two years, we've already helped 300 women get back into, uh, into the workforce. That's for those women that need our help most. So we don't leave them once the baby's born. That's just when it starts. Recently, we started another program. Just We just inaugurated a shelter for women. Believe it or not, in some of these cases, they don't have where to live because the parents just try to pressure them to terminate their pregnancy because they say, well, you can't. So the boyfriend leaves them, says, I'm not willing to take care of if it's a child. The parents say, well, listen, we're not going to take care of you. Find a place to live. Let's see you figure it out on your own. They don't have where to live. Our volunteers take them in, and today we have an apartment in the heart of Jerusalem that's taking in women during pregnancy and six months after the baby's born, a whole suite for them, for the baby and child, with like-minded women in the heart of Jerusalem to make sure that that is not a reason to terminate their pregnancy. Why? Because after the baby's born, the parents do bring them back in. 
many of these stories. We already have 47 years of experience. We know how these stories end. Many of them, the boyfriend and, and the woman get married. Sometimes they don't. But many times it just needs to get them through that difficult time and the entire trajectory of that family changes. Hi, I'm Elizabeth Kratz, editor of The Jewish Link newspaper and co-host of The Jewish Link Pitch Meeting podcast. We are looking for sponsors of The Jewish Link Pitch Meeting, a wonderful podcast that you find on all of your digital platforms. If you are interested, please email us at editor at jewishlink.news. In the religious community, if this ever happens in the religious community, I was, as a, as a f- retired rabbi, um, we were taught in, ra- in rabbinical school, Elizabeth, I'll just yeah. that if this ever, if you ever have an unwanted pregnancy in the Orthodox community, the first thing an Orthodox rabbi does is you say, can you marry your boyfriend? You know, meaning like, and, and just get married like in the next two months and the baby comes seven months, you know, whatever it is, as soon as it was an early baby, you know, and that's, I'm, I'm guessing, is that, is that something that you ask or Efrat says? Listen, so? we, don't, we don't advocate. Mm-hmm. We advocate to help the woman where her inner voice is, is guiding her. So we don't get into those discussions, but I will tell you something quite interesting. After Reb Chaim Kanievsky passed away, one of our volunteers shared with us a story from Reb Chaim. That one of the nice things about Efrat, it's easy to say, you know, pikuach nefesh, mm-hmm. but we've seen the Rabbanim push and recognize the importance of Efrat, that there's nothing greater, that's why we're on this campaign, Save a Life Guaranteed. A lot of times you have somebody who's sick, and you do everything to save their lives, but you not necessarily have the ability to do it. Here, if you help that woman, that child will be born, period. So Reb Chaim, all of the Gedolim are, are very close friends with Efrat, and people often ask me, you know, which Gadol can we call to vet Efrat? I said, listen, unsolicited, call any one of them, just call them up. So here's a story from Reb Chaim, which is remarkable, and we don't think that it's happening in our communities. And then we'll talk about the third big development of Efrat, if, if we have the time. Reb Chaim gets a, a call from one of our volunteers. One thing that Gedol Israel have, I, could, I don't know if I have time to share with you a story, it's crazy. They, they stop everything when Efrat calls, which is quite remarkable to see. Because so, what? Well, lives are at stake. It's lives are at stake. Yeah. Lives depend on it. Okay? Mm-hmm. So a volunteer calls up to Reb Chaim, and she needs to get into Reb Chaim immediately. Why? Because she found out that there's a woman in her community, a very Haredi community, became pregnant, and she has to terminate her pregnancy. Why? She's a widow. She has, I think, seven children. She was dating a widower who has eight children. And out of wedlock, she became pregnant. I mean, that is a tremendous trauma. I mean, what is she going to tell the kids, et cetera, et cetera. So the volunteer said, I totally understand you, but I'll get you in Yechidus today by Reb Chaim. How can you do that? Don't worry about it. Frat, they'll do anything. I'll get you in Yechidus with Reb Chaim and whatever he says, do. They go into Reb Chaim and Reb Chaim instructs them you're going to have this child, get married immediately, you're going to have this child, and that child was born. They got married, like you said, like your advice, you know, they got, they got married, and that child, in fact, uh, was born. So yeah, I, we, don't, we don't make those recommendations, it's for them to go forward with. I'll say one other thing about rabbis, uh, uh, rabbis call us up all the time and say, you know, there are medical issues. Can you review the medical issues? So we've been doing this for 47 years. We had a panel of doctors in Israel. Maybe you've heard about this also discussed. So it used to be Dr. Shusheim, Dr. Eli Shusheim, who started the Efrat organization. Who's a legend, by the way. Was who's an legend. absolute legend. <laughs> 
he has done many things. Uh, he was the treasurer of the Home for the Blind in Jerusalem. Mm. He was the head of the Mohalim of all of Israel, he all volunteers. He was also known as the, as the doctor to many of the Gedolim. Mm. He was the a personal doctor to many of the Gedolim. Really, yeah. it just, was just absolutely remarkable. He was just a remarkable, a remarkable man. So Dr. Shusheim uh, reviewed the medical records, and today it's actually his son. Dr. Shusheim was a surgeon, and his son is an obstetrician. So he reviews oh. the, the medical records. So I just shared a story. We have a story now in Florida, which is just absolutely remarkable. A Haredi woman, financially not stable. She has already four children. The doctor, she's on Medicaid because she doesn't have proper medical insurance, private medical insurance. The doctor tells her you had COVID. Because you had COVID, you have permanent kidney damage. And if you carry this pregnancy to term, you will surely die. That's what the doctor says there. She says, I don't want to terminate the pregnancy, but if I'm going to surely die, she sends us the, the medical records. Dr. Shusheim in Israel says to me, within an hour, he says, to, it's all answered immediately, 24-7. Within an hour, he says to me, near in their medical record, she doesn't have kidney damage. But don't answer. Maybe something's wrong with this woman. How could this be? We have those cases from time to time. Right. So I call up a high-risk obstetrics doctor here in New York City, and he says to me, near there's nothing wrong with this woman, based on the medical records. But she's in Florida. A Floridian doctor has to see her. I call up a donor of ours who's a kidney expert. And I say to him, listen, you have to help us out. Can you review these medical records? He reviews the medical records. Now, none of the doctors knew about my discussions. He says to me, I'm a little bit nervous. Is there something I'm missing? She has no kidney damage. I say, you're, you're kidding. None whatsoever. I said, what do you want to do? She says, she needs to be seen by a doctor. Let's just make sure she's well, because there's no indication whatsoever she should terminate her pregnancy. I say, well, she has a Medicaid. She can't afford private medicine. Do you have a doctor that for a token, we'd fund it, for a token, he'd be willing to see her? He says, what are you talking about? I've been donating to a friend all these years. Let me do it. Can you imagine? I can now touch a case front and center, and in two months' time, you know, this baby is, is due to be born. So he says to me, he calls me up, he says, listen, I'm not guaranteeing he'll be healthy. I'm not guaranteeing she'll be healthy. But there's no indication otherwise. Hmm. So we say to Rabbanim all the time, if somebody comes to you with medical recommendation, review the medical recommendation. Because maybe, and I, I don't know the reason why, but this isn't the first time. I actually have a personal story on this. It's not, it's not the first time this happens in Israel, it's not the first time it happens in America. Um, the rabbis obviously would have recommended for her to have an abortion, even mandate an abortion, if it's at risk to her life. And her life was not at risk, and she did not want to have an abortion. In fact, we have a case in New Jersey. We have a case in New Jersey of a family who, who also calls us up, and we just consult with them. This happened recently. And sometimes the answers are positive, and sometimes the answers are negative. But they feel there's somebody on their side holding their hands. We do this for free. It's a free service. We recommend, it's done from Jews all around the world. So we recommend any Rav who's facing this to consult with us, any person who's facing this to consult with us. Actually, I didn't realize how much you were doing outside of Israel. I didn't realize you are getting calls from outside of Israel. So. We've always gotten calls outside of Israel, but we've actually just now, and you'll see this also in some of the articles, we actually now decided to expand into the United States. Mm. Why? You talked about the taboo about the abortion issue. So I met with the 
CEO of the largest crisis pregnancy center in the United States. These are institutions that are, I would say, anti-abortion for the most part. There are about 3,300 of them, mostly run by Christians in the United States. 3,300 in the United States are zero Jewish organizations that are doing this. Okay. So I meet with her. She's in Las Vegas. She sees close to 3,000 women a year. She doesn't treat 3,000. We treat about 3,000 women a year. We support about 3,000, sometimes a little bit over that every single year. That's a large organization. She says to me the following. She says, Nir, I want you to know something's been happening in the past couple of years. I say, what? She says, we've been getting more and more Jews in our center. I said to her, what? How do you know they're Jewish? She says, well, I can tell you one thing. In the past couple of years, we've had over two dozen, right, 24, 30, I don't know how many, Israeli women who were actually servicing every single year. I said, I, I can't believe it. I said, oh, here's the deal. What do you care about more, converting those women and children to Christianity or saving the child's life? She says to me, saving the child's life. I said, oh, well, listen, we have an allergy to, you know, to whoever you're constantly referring to. We really do. And when a Jew comes in and they're preaching Jesus to this Jew, they might walk away and then have an abortion. And you want to save that child. So I'm telling you right now, here's my personal commitment to you. We will start Efrat tomorrow in the United States. Every Jew who walks through your door, send her to me. I'll give her all the assistance you give, but in a Jewish, warm, Jewish, loving environment. And if somebody Christian calls me up, I'll send her to you because that's the environment that she needs to be in. Wow. That's a big commitment, that's by the way. Wait, so that means, you're, hi- you means you're hiring up? Yes, locally? yes. I, I didn't know that. So we said, yes, we're doing it. Now, why did we decide at the end to do it? Not because of this wonderful lady, Esther, but actually that Shabbat I went to speak at the Young Israel in Las Vegas. The rabbi got all riled up. A lot of times when I go into communities, Rabbanim are very nervous. You know, they, they're speaking from the pulpit. They don't want anybody else to speak. And it's all about fundraising. And the answer by us is it's all about awareness. We want everybody to have a part in saving the lives of the Jewish people. Everybody, whoever's here in this podcast, I hope goes immediately and somehow gets involved with the frat. But it's about awareness because it might be happening in your community and your family and everybody needs to speak about it. But he gets all excited. Now he sees the talk, he's all excited. And I shared with the community that story about the Las Vegas Crisis Pregnancy Center. He says to me, you don't need to daven. It's pikuach nefesh. And he starts taking me to these side minyanim. He says, forget about davening, it's pikuach nefesh. I said, okay, fine. And we run around, and I speak at one minyan, that after this minyan, I had Kiddush with them. And a guy comes up to me, and he says to me, I want you to know, you told the story about that center. I was at that center. My baby is alive because of them. I said to him, what? You're in a loving Jewish community. I just don't understand. Why didn't you turn to the rabbi? You spoke about what a rabbi would do. And you know what his answer to me was? I thought on the abortion issue, the Jewish community just doesn't care. I said, okay, that's it. Esther's telling me she's going to send me the Jews. The Jewish community doesn't care. Of course they care. Every rabbi in every community cares. They'll do everything for that child. I turned to Chabad. They said, do you know that this is happening? I said, of course we know this is happening. Where is Efrat? We need Efrat in the United States yesterday. So we decided to make a move. We actually opened up an office in Florida. We're actually looking to provide full services all throughout the country, both in providing financial assistance, providing medical review and assistance for those 
that are underprivileged and don't have proper medical insurance to deal with their pregnancy, but also the emotional support that we know how to provide. We're looking for volunteers. We're looking for people to donate. We're looking for people to speak about in their communities because it's happening in absolutely every, commu every community. Every community this has happened. Sure. Actually, I have a question for you. Why do you think that is? There's so much, there's so much chesed in our community. It's actually odd. We have all these infertility organizations that are, but there's, there, there really hasn't been, uh, you know, something like a fraud. Any, any reason? Is, is the United States are we different? Is uh, you know, the, why are we so, why are we so behind? Look, I don't know. I, I can say we can save a you, life you guaranteed, but I don't know. I can tell you why we think this is happening. If you talk about the infertility issue, if you talked about 20 years ago a couple that were having infertility issues weren't comfortable talking about it. Today they are. So now there are all these organizations that are providing assistance. We need to make sure that everybody is comfortable talking about it. If you are a young woman, you're in your early 20s, and you didn't plan this, people are uncomfortable talking about it. They go ahead and they do this privately. Nobody knows about it. The parents sometimes pressure them to have it. Why? Because it's a shanda. You're not going to find a shidduch or it's a couple and the husband is pressuring. There's nobody talking about it. I have one donor, this was remarkable. He cried to me when I visited him that he doesn't donate enough to us because he's redirecting all of his money to his own family members who he's supporting. He says, these children are alive today because of Efrat, because I knew about the mission of Efrat. They're my nephews and nieces and I'm supporting them. I said, wow, that's amazing. So that's number one. The number two issue is infertility and abortion are not the same. In the United States, abortion is just such a topic that you just say abortion, I'm pro-life, I'm pro -life. everybody has to run ahead and take sides. They just have to run ahead and take sides. And I go to communities that say that they're very pro-choice and they're not willing to let me speak. And I say, why, you're so, and I say to them jokingly, you're so pro-life that you won't let me speak? We're actually for choice. This week's Parsha talks about choice, right? Uvacharta b'chaim, right? You have the choice, Hashem gives you a choice of life or not, and he recommends you choose life. It's not our choice. It's nobody's choice. It's the choice of the woman who's carrying that baby right now, whether to terminate the pregnancy or not. Whether she's allowed, not allowed, it's legal, it's illegal, it's irrelevant. We are there to be on the side of the woman. But when you start, you come into a community, okay, I, I, we can't talk about the abortion issue. It's so divisive in the United States. It's not like that in Canada. It is like that in Israel as well. When Roe v. Wade was reversed, so since we are Baruch Hashem, a household organization in Israel, you could look in the media, they, everybody attacked only Efrat. And the amazing thing is, why are you attacking Efrat? So they put these pictures. So there's another organization in Israel that's doing our work. They're called Be'ad Chaim. Be'ad Chaim is a missionary Christian organization. They have two different names. One is Be'ad Chaim and one is Lilach. So they put out these ads, these billboards. We put out billboards everywhere and on buses and on everywhere we can to talk about this issue. But the other organization who does it is Be'at Chaim. So the newspapers start attacking Efrat and they put the ads that Be'at Chaim puts. So on some of the talkbacks they write, but that's not even Efrat. The name, the logo says, they say, yeah, but nobody else is dealing with this in Israel. It has to be Efrat. Efrat is doing all of this, and they're bringing the Christian message of pro-life into Israel. So they interviewed us. They don't like interviewing us because we bust their myths, right? So they asked us, well, what, are, what do you think about Roe v. Wade? Should it be? We're like, we're not in America. 
we're not political, it's totally irrelevant. So they told us, yeah, but in Israel, like you said, there are committees that you need to go through in order to get an abortion approved. 99.7% of all abortions in Israel are approved. Late term, early term, midterm, doesn't make a difference. And you have to go through this committee. So they said to us, well, the health minister, the previous health minister, he wanted to abolish these committees. What is your opinion? Why did he want to abolish it? Because he saw the reversal of Roe v. Wade. So he wanted to go even more to the left in Israel. So they said, what is your opinion? You are the organization fighting this. So he said, we actually agree with him. I said, you agree with him? He said, yeah. Because we don't think anybody should be rubber stamping abortion on the one hand. And on the other hand, if it's the woman's right to choose, why does she have to go in front of a committee and start pleading and, and some of these doctors tell them what to elect? Say that it's infidelity, it will automatically you know, be accepted. Why does a woman have to go through that shame? She's already in such a difficult situation. Why does she have to go through that shame? They said, so you are for abolishing the committee? You said, yeah, we're for abolishing the committee. You're for the right of women to terminate their pregnancy? Yeah. A legal right? Yes. But we want something in the alternative. They said, what? We want every woman, before she goes to have an abortion, she should meet a social worker. That social worker should have a conversation with that woman to let her listen to her inner voice. And then give her a pamphlet. Not a frat. Other organizations. You can have Vitzo, you can have Naamat, Yad Eliezer, whoever is willing to help in the gamut of needs that this woman has, Efrat obviously being direct in this issue, tell her, listen, there are organizations that are help you financially, that shouldn't be a reason to terminate pregnancy, but it's your choice. The health minister didn't know what to do with that. The news reporters didn't know, we were, that was the end of that news. You know, they're just, not, they're just not interested. But when you're going into Jewish communities, it's just so explosive that it's even hard for them to understand that we're not here about taking away the choice, we're actually making that choice a viable choice. Now it's a real choice. You're taking all the noise away and it's a real choice. I'll tell you just one, one story about the choice at the last moment. So I met last week a volunteer of ours. She has saved directly 1,307 children. She's a volunteer from the north of Israel. 1307. <laughs> that's cool that she's counting. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's an We're counting. Number. She said 1300. I said, I don't believe it. I sent Chagai. I said, Chagai. Chagai is the CEO of Efrat. I said, Chagai, do you know how many? He's like, I don't know, a few hundred, I'm sure. I'm like, she said 1300. Ah, she's an actress. She must be exaggerating. Impossible. So I sent Ruti, the head of our social services department. I said, how many? She sends me the copy. Every volunteer has a number of children because she, they follow these children, right? 1307. And she tells me the following. She says sometimes she gets calls by people telling her the woman is in the abortion room. She doesn't want to have an abortion. Can you just call her up? She calls her up and she says these women are crying. Some of them are in medical abortions, not the pill medical abortions, and those are gruesome. The trauma that these women have to go through afterwards is very, very difficult. Imagine what that does to marital life afterwards if one is pressuring the other, and then the next day they wake up and they didn't want that. And she says to them, listen, if you don't want to have the abortion, just walk out. You can have it later. Just walk out and breathe. Just walk out and breathe. So she told me a story that relates to Save a Life Guaranteed. She said, listen, Nine and a half years ago, she has a son who's 26 years old. She's been volunteering for Efrat for many years. 1307 is many years. So she says she has a son who's 26 years old today. Nine and a half years ago, he had a surgery that got complicated. She says it was nine and a half hours, and she thought 
that's it. And she said, she turned to the Rabbi Shalom. She's not a religious woman. She said, I said to Hashem, she said, listen, Hashem, here's the deal. And she's crying and screaming as she says, tells me the story. She says, here's the deal. I saved hundreds of your children. Hundreds of your children are walking around because of my help in helping Efrat's efforts here in Israel. I'm asking you to save one. Can't you just save for me one? And that child today, Baruch Hashem, is healthy and 26 years old. We don't know what the impact of helping another woman have her child is to you, to the donor. We don't know. We have many, many, many different stories, but we don't know. We can't promise what that's going to do to you. We can just promise what that's going to do to the woman. That woman is going to have her child if you support the frat. It costs $1,500, all of the support, to be able to help those two years of packages, emotional support, which is free, our volunteers all throughout the country, that makes a difference between that child coming into this world and not. It's a, it's a very small number, the amount of support that, that appears, probably because of the level of volunteers, I guess. But the products and those things that are given are like they're, it's almost like they're a... Uh, they're a gesture, right. and they're, it's almost not really money that it's you're not. giving. It's hope. It's sort of like this idea of, of social support, which Correct. exists only in a place when, when somebody asks for it and when, or when Hashem is there enough to put a social worker in the room at that moment. Absolutely. But there are these tough moments that this, unfortunately we know do not happen that way and they Absolutely. do not have support. Absolutely. And it's, I mean, it, yeah. There's, there's actually, like, sorry to, okay, I don't want to say this too much, but there's a line in a television show that was very popular about 10 years ago called Sex and the City. Um, <laughs> and I don't know if you've heard of it. Yes. I know you did. Um, but there's this line of the character at some point is discussing abortion with, with one of her friends who is con- contemplating abortion in that room. And the, the young woman says to the other young woman, I know you had an abortion about 10 years ago when we were just friends early in our friendship. How long did it take you to get over it? And Carrie Bradshaw says, any day now. And that and that lady, Miranda, I don't know if you even remember the storyline, had the baby. And the the baby the baby Very exists. And it's 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 a real feeling and it really like that's that's not a fake story. That's a real story. I've had it with friends also. Like people do not get over abortions. It's painful. It's they're they're not. It's 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 a difficult thing. Just being there sometimes, having a friend in the room to say what they need to hear at that moment is very helpful. Shoshi Tal, the volunteer with the 1307, mm-hmm. she underwent a situation where she realizes, you know, she has to help herself in helping other women. Mm. And the, it's, it's very traumatic. I'll tell you, some of the women that come to us tell us a very scary, scary message. They say they're, they come from a religious family. Most of the women we're dealing with are not religious. So I don't want to paint a picture that's mostly religious. It's not. But there are a lot of religious and Haredim. And they say to us an amazing thing. They say, you know, our husband is pressuring us to have an abortion for financial reasons. And he went to the Rav, and the Rav said it's mutter. But the Rav didn't even ask me. I don't want to have an abortion. Mm-hmm. 
And imagine what that does to the family unit after it's just, it's, it's wild. But the number that you mentioned, the $1,500 is actually a scary number. And I'll tell you why it's scary. Because if we have, when I took this position two years ago, I realized we have to be under pressure about this. Chagai says to me, don't you come into Rosh Hashanah, you know, feeling great that this is what you're doing, you know, day in and day out. I said, actually, not really. <laughs> he says, why? I said, because I, I bear the responsibility on my shoulders. You know, we bring in speakers and we talk about it and everything. And I say to them, I'm telling you, yes, be under pressure because lives actually depend on it. He said to me, how funny, that's what the doctor used to say. He says, when I get into Rosh Hashanah, I'm actually not happy because I know how much could be done. We know how much could be done. We don't know from the 35 to 40,000 abortions how many could actually be helped. But if we are helping about three to three and a half thousand a year, we know more can be helped. We just don't have the means to be able to do that. We have to reach out to mainstream Israeli society. Just the marketing budgets for that are absolutely in insane. But we have to do it. And if we can save all of these children, imagine 85,011 children saved. Ima that's in 47 years. So imagine how many hundreds of thousands of people already today are walking around in Israel. Hundreds of thousands out of the, I don't know, nine and a half million Jews in Israel. That's a significant percentage of the Israeli population. But imagine we did 10,000 a year. Think about how many olim come to Israel. Think about how that changes the demographics. For $1,500, and it won't be $1,500 because we need marketing campaigns, etc. but it's just a fraction of every other effort that we're making within the Jewish community. We have to be out there to make sure that those who can support come along and say, well, wait a second, we can actually change history by supporting Efrat and by growing this amazing organization for the past 47 years. Absolutely. And what is that number that you said, I think, before we started recording of how many total lives, how many Jews are walking around Israel and the rest of the world today. We saved directly 85,011 direct in Efrat's direct support. And I urge you to go on our website, efrat.org, E-F-R-A-T.org. Read our stories. We send out monthly newsletters. Listen to the women. Listen to their plight. Listen to their stories. Do we have time for one more story? Yeah. Okay, so I'll tell you a story. We actually brought this woman to speak here in an American community. It was quite remarkable. An Ethiopian girl who became pregnant, and her boyfriend actually wanted to have the, the child. They wanted to get married, but the parents of the boyfriend were against it, and her parents were against it. It was a whole big balagan. Her parents sent a lawyer's letter to threaten the woman that if she has the baby, they'll sue her and the whole thing. She already had a, an abortion scheduled. She goes to a neighbor of hers who's a lawyer. And she says, listen, I have this very scary letter from a lawyer. You have a letter from a lawyer, everybody gets scared. It's just a lawyer, right? We know lawyers. <laughs> so at the end, she goes with this lawyer's letter to, to her friend. And she says to her, you know, take this letter, throw it to the garbage. It doesn't mean anything. But do you want to have an abortion? She says, well... They, they told me I don't have a choice. I see that even in the, in the lawyer's letter. I, I don't have a choice. She said, what do you mean you don't have a choice? You're pregnant. It's your choice. She says, but the lawyer's letter, it says very clearly, my parents tell me it's, I don't have a choice. She wasn't a minor. She was, she was, she was over she was, I, What was she? She was, I think, 27 years old. <laughs> okay. She doesn't have a choice. And she says, I, 
She says to you, have a choice. There's an organization. I don't really know them. Again, the marketing that we need to spend in Israel to be able for everybody to know us. They're called Efrat. They help women, I think, in this situation, give them a call. She says, what do I need to call anybody? I don't have a She says, you have a choice. Just call them. If they can't help you, forget it. Again, answering the phone is Ruti Dhar. And Ruti says to her, Khana is her name. She says to her, Khana, first of all, you're not alone. It's your choice. Whatever you decide, it's your choice. She says, really? I have the right to make that choice? Of course you have the right to make that choice. She says, I had a volunteer. Every woman that comes to our doors has assigned to her a volunteer. She says, I have a volunteer. She's a, like a mother to me till today. She's like a grandmother to my son, Ori is, is his name, till today. Ori was born on the eighth day of Hanukkah. We called him Ori. He's the light of my life. He's today nine and a half years old. I am today a motivational speaker. I speak all around the world because Efrat told me I have a choice. And when I had that baby, I realized, wait a second, I also have a choice of my destiny. So I picked myself up and today I'm a successful businesswoman supporting Efrat, advocating for Efrat. I have another child. She has a baby girl now. And Ori is the light of my life. He lightened my life and lightened my path. You came into the picture. That made the difference. Save a life, guaranteed. But the woman needs to know she's not alone without any judgment. People ask us, do some women come in and end up having an abortion? The answer is yes. Sometimes women come in and have an abortion, but they're not alone. Sometimes after they have an abortion, we provide counseling for them, post-abortive. We're also now starting to provide counseling for the men, post-abortive counseling. Why? Because we don't want that the marital relationship is going to suffer as it usually does because of the stress between the husband and wife after this happens. Post-abortion. That I didn't, I didn't, uh, I didn't know that. That's, that's actually, I mean, they're done. This, they're in many sense, they're not Efrat cases. They're not. That's they're post, correct. So we, we, we don't do the counseling for them. Our volunteers aren't trained in that. But we do now connect them up to it because we realize that if they're going to face this situation, they need to recover themselves. We had actually a donor who calls me up one day and he says, Ruti gave, gave him my number. She didn't know what to do with this man. He calls up and he says, I need a kapara, I need a kapara, I need a kapara. I said, well, what do you need a kapara for? He says, you know, I'm not religious, but we had an abortion and he used the words, you know, we murdered our own child. How much money do I need to give a front in order to be, get kapara? I said to him, listen, we don't give kapara. It doesn't work like that. I said, but I don't know how much money you are planning on donating, but I'd I would ask you something. Efrat is pikuach nefesh. So I can't say no if you're giving me money, but you're also dealing with the pikuach nefesh of your wife. If you feel you murdered your own child, then you're facing a lot of trauma. I recommend, first of all, seek help. We're willing to help you. And second of all, take that money and go away for a weekend or a week with your wife on vacation and strengthen the bond between the two of you. First of all, calm down, seek counseling, and then Bezrat Hashem, you can also help somebody else have a child. Rabbi Duvi Ben Susan, you know Rabbi Duvi? I know the name. Right, so he shared with us, also, there's all these stories, you know, that people come along, you know, they want to, they have these situations, and, 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 they, and Rabbi Duvi says to them, you know, you want to save somebody else's life? I they say, well, there are sick people, we can help them live. But how can I guarantee that their lives will be saved? He says, well, there is an organization that can actually guarantee it. It's called Efrat. So visit us on efrat.org, E-F-R-A-T.org. 
You will learn tremendous, and if you can share that with your family and take part, big or small, whatever part you can take in saving a life guaranteed. If you can save an entire life, so Rav Shlomo Zadmer Arabach taught us. He told Dr. Shusheim, he said to him, you know, I'm jealous of you. He said, you're jealous of me? You're Gedolador, how can you be jealous of me? So Rav Shlomo Zadmer Arabach, told Dr. Shusheim, Zechet Tzadik V'Kadosh many years ago, he said, you know, Chazal teach us that Kola Melamedet Ben Chaverot Torah Ki'ilu Yelado. Anybody who teaches his friend's son Torah is as if he's given birth to him. He says, I have many as if children, but your children are truly your children because they wouldn't have come to the world otherwise. So since then, Dr. Shusheim devised a certificate where every donor who doesn't only take part and gives part of it, but at least saves a life by donating the entire amount, $1,500 today, he actually gets a certificate with the name of that child because even though Chazal tells there are three partners in having a child, it's the Rabban Shalom, it's the father and the mother. In the case of the Efrat women, it's the Efrat organization is the fourth partner. And anybody who partners becomes a parent, literally, was in, involved in making sure that that neshama comes to the world. So come visit us, Efrat.org. We have this amazing campaign. Read about it in the Jewish link. Save a life guaranteed. And I really appreciate this opportunity. First, I want to say thank you. I also want to say, Elizabeth, listening to it, um, near you have now become, based on with this conversation, which is great, you've now become, we now look at you completely differently. Uh, I think Efrat now is a, is a local organization for us. And, and by the way, we, uh, I mean, we've always been a special organization, but now, now you're, you're, you're close by, and, uh, and we look to covering and seeing see only, only more positive Efrat stories in the, uh, in the paper. Only positive, only positive. And, and our hope is to disappear. But until we need to disappear, we will be there for every woman in need that she knows she is not alone. We will be there for her. Yeah, yeah thank you for being with us. Thank We're you. very, very happy and proud to partner. Thank you. Thanks for being with us on the Jewish Link Pitch Meeting Podcast. If you would like to participate or be in touch with us in any way, please email us at editor at jewishlink.news. And follow us and find our podcasts wherever you find podcasts.